well, knowing if I'm live lately. Hey, Charles, can you tell me if I'm live? It's just nothing. Can you tell me if I'm live? <laughs> it's like not telling me if I'm live. I don't know why, but I'm going to just assume I am live. So I'm going to say, hey, everybody, and welcome to Chef. I cannot tell if this live. And I had Dr. McDougall on, and we had to start again, which, is, of course, was very embarrassing. Am I live? Sorry, guys. This technology is driving me crazy today, but I am Chef AJ, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. Before I introduce today's guest, and I usually say to the show is about amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. And she really is doing great things, especially for those of you who have children. But I just want to make you aware that my new book, our third book together with Glenn Merzer came out a week ago. And thank you so much for your support. If you would consider buying it by Sunday, October 18th at midnight, we'll send you a tremendous amount of bonuses simply by emailing your Amazon receipt to chefajbonus at yahoo.com. We'll send you the audio files. So you don't have to buy the book on Audible if you like to listen rather than read, which I I know I do because it's a funny book and it's great when you listen. Lots of bonus exclusive recipes like the double layer frosted vanilla carrot cake with a video. Recipes that didn't make it into the book, not because they weren't good, because we just had to get it out. So without further ado, my guest today is Amy Hamlin and she is the executive director of the Coalition for Healthy School Food. And if you guys are parents, you know that this is important because at least in most schools, at least where I live, the food is absolutely deplorable. Please welcome Amy Hamlin. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, you do such important work and I don't have kids. So it's not that I don't care about this issue. It's just that I feel ineffective because like, why would they listen to me? I don't even have a kid in school, but I volunteer in a school and it, it breaks my heart when I see every year the kids getting bigger. And, and it's not about aesthetics, it's about the risk that, that the, the kids now, they're diabetic, they're on statins and they're little kids. It's just, it's so unfair. And they're, and they, you know, when they're volunteering, they get the snack break and they're giving them string cheese and they're giving them chocolate milk and they're giving them not even food. So what are you doing about it, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> well, first I'll just say that, um, I'm the co-founder of the Coalition for Healthy School Food, and we started back in 2004 after we wrote a legislative resolution for New York State asking that schools have a healthy vegan option every day, um, and that when they do nutrition education, they include information about healthy plant-based eating. And so um, this is what I've been doing ever since 2004. And our mission is that, so we, we are a nonprofit organization. So we introduce plant-based foods and nutrition education in schools. And we educate the whole school community about the health, environmental and social justice issues of our food choices. And so how we go about doing that in like so many different ways, um, we develop plant-based recipes we work with food manufacturers, just, just that's a tiny part of what we do, to try to create healthy food that might be frozen, um, that meets the USDA requirements for school meals, um, is affordable for schools, for the school food budget. Um, and then we work to get, whether it's the manufactured healthy food or whether it's the homemade, scratch-made recipes, which is really our focus to get that food on the school menus. And that's what we do. And then we work on publicity and marketing to promote those recipes. Um, and the cool thing about our recipes is that almost all of them 
represent cultures from around the world. And so it's an opportunity to learn about, about cultures around the world. Um, but you can't just put food on the menu and have that be effective. We also provide education. Um, so when I say we educate the whole school community, that means not just the students, but their parents, their teachers, assistant teachers, uh, the school administrators, and the food service staff. We educate the whole school community. And, and that is just such an important piece of having the healthy plant-based food be accepted. And another really important piece about having the plant-based food be accepted is the fact that it's really um, a problem that schools offer so many choices, right? When you're at home and you're eating with your family, this is what we're having for dinner and here it is, right? But when a kid goes to school, they have, they might even have eight or nine different choices of what to choose for lunch. And, you know, given that 70% of the adult population is overweight or obese, not even adults can make the right choice most of the time. It's hard, it's, it's not your fault. It's not your fault, I mean, the food industry has purposely made their food addictive. So it's not your fault, but if you eat the way Chef AJ tells you to eat, those addictions go away, which is amazing. It is truly amazing what can happen. So, you know, so one of the biggest problems, even though the kids will eat these foods, like when we do taste tests and they say they really like it, they like to eat it at home, but they might not choose it at school because there's chicken nuggets or mozzarella sticks or pizza. They really you know, like it. Excuse me. Yep. No, keep going. Yeah. So they, they, it's, it's a, it's, it's like when not even adults can make the right choice, how do we expect kids to make the right choice? Uh, when there's all these like addictive foods that they're used to. So, so we also do a lot of education. Um, and, um, we have a curriculum right now for, we want to expand it, but right now for pre-K through two called food on earth, uncovering the truth about food. And a lot of it has to do with the food industry. It, it's, and about like sort of big picture nutrition, like eat more plants, eat less animals, um, and talking about whole foods versus processed foods. Um, and so, um, and, and pre-COVID every day when we did this curriculum, teaching it to hundreds of kids, um, there was also a snack associated with it. So they got to try something and we'll get back to that eventually as soon as we can. Um, but we, we also have a recipe specific curriculum where we would go into a classroom and on the day that that recipe is on the menu for lunch, we go into a bunch of classrooms that morning and we would show a slideshow of the culture where the food is from. Then we would have all the ingredients out on a table and the kids would go around and they would see and touch and smell the ingredients. And then they would get to taste the food. Um, and then we would talk about like, who likes it? You know, would you get it for lunch? Would you want your family to make it at home? And that's, that's very successful and really a, a lot of fun. So we love doing that. And we can help, we can help people implement these kinds of programs in their schools. And then also we have these, um, these educational resources. So we have one called wellness wake up call which we call nutrition education in the form of easy to digest sound bites. 
but it's basically read over the loudspeaker or the PA system each morning. And each day it's a little message in each month. It's like a certain topic for the month and each month it comes with a healthy recipe. So we ask the schools to send the messages and the recipe home to the families. We ask the families to review the messages with their kids. Um, but the secret idea behind that is then the parents are also learning too and encourage them to make the recipe together because cooking together is, you know, first of all, when kids grow food or when they cook food, then they'll eat it, right? That's how you get kids to eat healthy food is you involve them in growing food and cooking food. So, and it's also such a quality way for parents and kids to spend time together. So um, in fact, right now, so the way we've pivoted because we can't go in classrooms right now is we have an online program and three times a week we have a cooking class. It's at five o'clock Eastern time. And so at least for part of the country, as soon as the class is over, dinner is ready, um, which is really a lot of fun. But anybody anywhere in the country can take it. And um, our website is healthyschoolfood.org. And then you just click on fall classes. But anyway, so each month is a different topic for Wellness Wake Up Call. And it's a three-year cycle program. So there's 30 different um, topics since there's 10 months in each school year. Um, we also have this great resource called Feel Good Food Cards, which are like pictures of plant foods and then five interesting facts about each. And we also have category cards for the different categories like fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grains, nuts and seeds, mushrooms. So those are great cards. You can play games with them. And the, a lot of cafeterias use them to sort of show the different plant foods they're serving that day. So uh, they're a great resource. Do you do this only in New York or do you do this all throughout the United oh, States? Oh, no. Thank you for asking me that question. We help schools anywhere in the country. That's great. How can, how can we get on board? How can we help, especially those of us yeah. without kids? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, it's so funny, Amy. I was just thinking, when I moved to California from Chicago in 1971, I started with junior high, the seventh grade. And, you know, of course, you, you were always allowed to bring your lunch to school. That was an option. But my aunt, she was my legal guardian, would give me a dollar every day. Now, this was 1971. And do you know when a dollar bought in 1971 at my school? I went to Robert A. Milliken Junior High School. We had something called a student store. And I anyone could go there during hours they were open and buy every candy bar for a nickel. And so I would use my dollar and buy like 20 candy bars, you yeah. know, I mean, and, 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 you know, there was nobody like, I mean, I, I don't think it was such a great idea that this is the Coke came in two years later, by the way. So, mm -hmm. so if there was anything healthy offered, I don't remember, but I sure wasn't eating it. Cause you know, give me a choice of food or candy. I'm, you know, I'm already the fat kid already got food addictions. You know, I can think about my favorite one. It was called the triple decker bar by Nestle. I wasn't vegan yet, you know, but I remember we used to have before lunch, there was something called nutrition break. I think it occurred like around 10 o'clock where you could go to the cafeteria and, and buy like a snack, right? Now, again, this was a nickel and you could get either what they call spice cake or coffee cake. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you the piece, this is, this is just a picture frame. The piece was bigger than this picture frame. Wow. And it was the most delicious cake well, that I remember having. And <laughs> as I got to be older, 
this was called the LAUSD, Los Angeles Unified School District. They posted the recipe in the LA Times for this cake. And when I look at it, and I actually just pulled it up on the internet, with the exception of the cinnamon and the nutmeg, there is nothing in those recipes that I could eat. It's basically made out of white sugar, white flour, brown sugar, salt, and salad oil. Yep. Yeah, well, I, I have a story like that too. I used to take my lunch money across the street to this little store when I was in middle school and buy cream horns. I don't know if you know what they were. Cream horns. That's they what sound I delicious. Actually, I think I do. They got the white cream. And I still love that stuff. And I, yeah. like, I get it when people like it and are addicted to it. They, it was designed that way. But, you know, it wasn't until I was in high school that you could even really get a fruit at school. They finally put in like a machine with apples and oranges. And, you know, I wonder, like, when you when I used to go to, like, football games, like, you know, it was always sponsored Domino's Pizza, Coca-Cola. Do you think that has anything to do with, like, what's being offered? Well, yes, it definitely does. And um, uh, I was going to talk about this later, but I'll just say now we're holding the Green Apple E-Summit and Gala. And in the Green Apple E-Summit, one of the speakers is Colin Campbell. Dr. Campbell is going to be talking about how the food industry impacts food policy and how that impacts the food that's offered in school because it's all connected. So um, greenapplesummit.org. You can see who the speakers are and you can see, uh, learn about our gala. Um, but the summit is all related to kids and families and schools. So mostly about nutrition, but also some stuff about how to deal with schools and COVID working in schooling from home or should you send your kid to school? There's a little bit of that, but most of it's about building immunity, how to eat healthy and things like that. So um, yeah, it's very connected. I mean, dairy has to be offered in school meals um, and at school snacks. Now kids don't have to take it. In the vast majority of cases, kids don't have to take it. Most schools participate in something called offer versus serve and it saves them a lot of money. So they have to offer five components of food. But in the schools that do offer versus serve, which is the vast majority of schools in the country, kids only have to take three of those five components. One of the three they must take is a fruit or vegetable, but they don't have to take the milk. They don't have to take the entree. So they could take a fruit, a vegetable, a grain. And that would count as a meal that could be reimbursed by the federal government. There's, there's like a tiny number of schools that don't do that. And the kids have to get all five of the components, including the milk. But the, the regulations that govern what food is served, what the categories are and all of that in schools, those are called regulations and they can be changed from time to time. Um, and if they want to change the regulations, they don't have to change the law. They just have to change the regulations. But there's one thing that's in the law that would literally take an act of Congress to change. And that is the fact that milk must be offered. It would take an act of Congress, meaning changing the law to make it so the milk does not have to be offered. And why is that? You know the answer and I know the answer, but for anybody who doesn't know the answer, it's because the dairy industry is so powerful that they got that written into the law 
Now, meanwhile, in relation to the food, believe it or not, I don't know any school that's doing this. If you are a school watching or a parent of a school, you think you could get your school to do this, we would love to help a school do this. There is no requirement that a school serve meat or cheese or eggs. Okay, so even though they must offer the milk in relation to the food, they could have a 100% plant-based menu for the food. And yes, they would have to offer the milk, but the kids don't have to take it. And meanwhile, that law also says that the school cannot do anything to discourage the consumption of milk. That's also written in the law. That's Why just, do you think that is? Um, because there must be money somewhere that's... Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting, you know, how that all works. But on our e-summit on greenapplesummit.org, Colin Campbell is going to really be talking a lot about that. And it's going to be quite interesting if you want to learn more about that. Uh, uh, you know, have you ever heard of the Muse School? Yes, we're honoring at our gala, we're honoring Rebecca Amos, who is one of the founders, co-founders of the Muse School. And so we'll be honoring her on October 28th on our online gala, which we invite you all to. There are paid tickets, but there are also free tickets. Nice. If you give me that information, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Maybe tell people what the Muse School are because they may not be familiar. Well, the Muse School is a um, private school. Um, actually, they just kind of changed how they operate to a virtual only school. But they used to be a brick and mortar school. Um, and, um, and after, I guess, at some point after they were founded, uh, they decided to make their menu all vegan, which they did. But they were not participating in the USDA school meal program. So if they were, they would have had to be offering milk, but they weren't. So they were able to make it all vegan. Um, but that's great because the big focus of their school was the environment. Um, and so recognizing that the connection of food to the environment, you know, it's the journal science says that eating no animal products or at least less animal products is the very biggest thing any individual can do to help address climate change. That raising animals for food causes more greenhouse gas production than all transportation combined. And if we wanna help the environment, we have to eat less or ideally no animals. You know, it's funny, I remember when I went to school, like it wasn't even an option not to have milk as a little kid, like, like the teacher made yeah. you make it, but they, and they give you a choice of chocolate milk, which made it easier, but I was lactose intolerant, still am, and actually allergic to milk. And like, I remember being forced to drink something that was gonna make me sick. And I yeah, know Dr. Was, Mills talks a lot about the racial injustice in that, but it, even if you're not a race, I mean, it's, it's just injustice in period when you're, when you're being forced to drink something that, that you don't want and it's going to make you sick. And so I'm so glad you brought up Dr. Mills. Dr. Mills is on our advisory board. Dr. Mills is also presenting on our e-summit and his topic is meat, dairy, and racism. So I definitely encourage you to watch that. Um, so there is sometimes a misunderstanding where people say milk is required because even though it's not, even though in the vast majority of schools, well over 95% of schools, it's not required. It must be offered. It does not have to be taken. But that does not mean 
that all schools understand the rule because a lot of times schools have helpers like parents or, or assistant teachers who really don't know the school food rules. And they just think, oh, milk is healthy, milk builds strong bones. So I'm gonna tell the kid they have to take it. So a lot of times kids are forced to take it, not because it's the rule, just because of misunderstanding. And of course, you know, you've probably talked about this on your show about this uh, Harvard Nurses Health Study that actually shows the more milk people drink, the more their bones break. So, so actually there's now evidence that drinking milk does not make your bones strong. And in fact, the most important thing for strong bones is weight bearing exercise. And also um, obviously you do need to eat food with calcium, but that's greens um, and, and beans and nuts and seeds. Like all whole food actually has calcium. Some have more than others. And then of course you need the vitamin D from the sun and you know, or a supplement. So, so like we know that milk does not build strong bones, then why is it still in schools? Wasn't that the reason it was its own category because everybody thought it built strong bones? Well, now, since they know that's not true, the posters that are in schools about milk, they don't talk about strong bones anymore. They say it has calcium, which is true, it has calcium, but they say nothing about strong bones. They talk about protein. Well, we don't, we don't have a lack of protein in this country. In fact, we're eating way too much and animal protein causes cancer. So, you know, it's like a lot of misunderstanding about nutrition. And can you sue them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I think there are some groups that have tried to figure out a hook to be able to do that. And I don't think they've been able to figure out the legal hook yet, but I hope they figure it out soon because it truly is, you, you mentioned that you are not only lactose intolerant, but that you are allergic, then I just wanna say something about that because lactose intolerance is not a condition. It's normal. We're supposed to be lactose intolerant. We're not supposed to be able to, to digest dairy after we're weaned. And we're only supposed to have the kind of milk that comes from our own mothers, right? So after we're weaned, we're not supposed to digest milk anymore. This is the normal condition and the majority of people in the United or in the world, sorry, the majority of people in the world are cannot digest lactose because they're not supposed to. Really, what is the unique condition is lactase persistence. That's those mostly Caucasians who can continue to digest it because of a genetic mutation. That's the weird thing, right? And so most people can't. And like another problem besides this, what most people, we, you know, we do, we do call it lactose intolerance. Like you cannot digest dairy. So it's fine to call it that. I'm just saying that's the norm, but the allergies. So with kids, um, a lot of kids, babies, toddlers, young kids have very severe chronic constipation and it makes their lives miserable. And their doctors put them on increasingly high doses of laxatives. And these kids are going around constipated all the time. They can't go to the bathroom. They, they can't play and have fun because they don't feel well. And um, the biggest reason for this is undiagnosed milk allergies. So it's not just about not drinking milk, but no cheese, no ice cream, nothing that comes from dairy. Because if you're allergic to dairy, you're allergic to dairy in any form. And so, so milk, cheese, yogurt, ice cream, sour cream, butter, any kind of dairy. Um, so what happens is when parents take their kids completely off dairy, then the problem goes away. 
And so, um, and I've heard so many stories of people I know this actually happened to. So like a lot of people don't know this about dairy because the dairy industry is just so powerful and it, it truly is an unhealthy, dangerous food. And then of course, um, prostate cancer, you know, it's, it's a known carcinogen for prostate cancer, possible for ovarian cancer. There's a lot of problems with milk that people just don't know about because this industry is just so powerful. You, you know, I think about, you know, I've been vegan for over 43 years, so I, I don't want people eating animal products at all. But what I don't understand is we're not going to get everybody to be vegan or all the kids to be vegan, but why they have to have junk food at schools. You know what I'm saying? Like it, they don't even try to be healthy within food. The, the fact that, that like when I think about it, you know, schools, it's pizza, macaroni and cheese, chicken mm -hmm. nuggets. If they really cared about kids health and let's say they really believe animal products are good, wouldn't they ostensibly try to make healthier versions? You know what I'm saying? I think some food service directors do do that. They they care about health and they think, okay, we'll have baked chicken and, you know, steamed carrots or whatever. So I, I think there are food service directors that do that, but no, they really don't. And if you go to the um, food service association conferences, like states have them, and then there's a national one. I've been to both and you walk around the exhibit floor. It's just unbelievable. It's just all processed junk food, you know, like pizza and, you know, oh, they say, oh, it's whole grain. It's 51% whole grain guess what? It's 49% white flour. And um, I, I, a few years ago, we went to one and um, we actually made homemade, our homemade recipes. So each day of the expo, we did two different homemade recipes. So we're back in the kitchen, you know, making our homemade recipes while all these other people who work are chefs are actually, um, um, preparing, heating up, heating up prepared food, right? So this one chef says to me, I don't mean to be a wise guy, but like, what are you selling? You're just like making homemade food. What are you selling? And I said, we're selling good health. And um, he just, he couldn't believe it. And then you would see um, the food service directors walking around and many of them would walk right past our table but they had like a tray that was full of all these different foods they were trying from all the manufacturers. It was just like stuff with pepperoni and cheese and white flour. And it's, it's sad because, um, you know, these are foods that are highly subsidized and so they're cheap. And so, you know, we all say our kids are our future and our kids mean everything and all that kind of stuff, but actually it's, it's not in evidence when you look at the amount of money that schools get to, to make these foods. And so it's, it's a real problem, but we've worked with, I want to say we've worked with, we have an ongoing partnership with New York city office of food and nutrition services. They serve basically a million meals a day. And we were able to convince them to serve hummus every day as an option. And we were able to convince them to get a, um, veg have a vegetarian menu that schools could have if they wanted to. They, um, so we helped four schools adopt that menu. And then of course, we're always working to make the menu as plant-based as possible. So that's like, um, you know, we've done a lot of education with them. We brought Colin Campbell there. We, we had a bunch of their top level administrators take his plant-based e-Cornell certification course. Um, 
We've had Michelle McMacken, MD. We had Michael Greger there last year. He spoke to over 500 of their supervisors and managers and top level administrators. So we, we bring various plant-based doctors to speak to their, to their leadership teams. And, um, you know, they're very interested, but like then there's this long contract process that takes a few years to get any new food. Um, and then not all the kitchens have the cooking facilities, so they can't all cook scratch made foods. So it's a challenge. Um, in Ithaca, New York, where I live, the school serves vegan, healthy vegan entrees several times a week. They make them from scratch. They have the kitchen facilities to do that so they can do that. But basically um, schools can, if they have the facilities, make scratch made foods. Um, if they have a contract with a food service management company, they can put in the contract that they want healthy plant-based food options. So um, there's a lot of ways that schools can address it, but each school's situation is usually unique. So we have to um, really, you know, talk to each school who's interested. So if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, a principal, a school board member, a superintendent, we'll talk to anybody. Anybody who wants to create change in their school, we'll help them strategize. And our website on the Create Change in My School page has a lot of um, suggestions. So it's a good idea to read that first and then contact us. So that's at healthyschoolfood.org and then click on Create Change in My School. Amy, are you familiar with either of Dr. Furman's books, Fast Food Genocide or Disease Proof Your Child? Disease Proof Your Child. I, I know of his other book. I've read Disease Proof Your Child. I, I love the, um, it's really easy to read and understand. I think it's a really great book for parents. It seems like, you know, in a lot of cases, the parents are addicted to the junk food too. You know what I mean? It's not just that the kids are getting it at school. It's that oh, they're yeah. getting it at home too. And so I can imagine yeah. a kid, you know, because in Fast Food Genocide, which I actually have talked to Dr. Furman about the fact that I think it's probably his best book, even though it, it's not as big of a seller, is he, he it talks about how it really just sets the stage. And these kids are getting exposed to these junk foods and highly addictive foods younger and younger. And it really kind of sets their taste so that even if you could have the most delicious vegan buffet, they may not want it because they're, you know, it's almost like they're little addicts. Well, that's why I was saying like seven out of 10 adults are overweight or obese. So if adults can't make the right choice, how can we expect kids to? And why do schools feel like they need to be like a restaurant to be able to get kids to participate? I mean, the one thing is, you know, first of all, I want to say about food service directors and food service workers. They truly are heroes. They work super hard. They are also frontline essential workers. They've been feeding people all throughout this pandemic. They are just doing what they're told to do based on all the rules and regulations that are given to them by the US federal government. Okay, I know a lot of food service directors who would rather be doing things differently and it's not always easy to do that. And the problem is that if the participation in the meal program drops down, then they lose money. That means they might have to lay off staff. So there's all these different considerations, but um, I know a lot of food service directors who wanna be doing things differently. And if they had more budget and not all these, I, I get regulations to like keep the food healthy, but in fact, these regulations don't result in a healthy meal. So if you look at the fact that kids just have to take three of those five components for lunch. I'll just give you an example. 
half the time, fruit juice, 100% fruit juice, like 100% apple juice, 100% orange juice can count as a fruit. And since one of the components kids needs to take is a fruit or a vegetable, if they take a carton of apple juice or a carton of orange juice, then that counts, that's the fruit. So they could take a carton, let's say they take a carton of apple juice and they get a cheeseburger on a half white bun, 49% white, okay? So that's the grain and then that's the high protein food. Okay, that's three components. So they got a carton of apple juice and a cheeseburger on a half white bun. Now the regulations are designed to make a healthy meal, but it is easy and it happens virtually every day with the vast majority of the students that the meal that they take that qualifies for reimbursement is not healthy. It's not only not healthy, it's disease causing. So it's a huge problem that the regulations, and that's because of the food industry influence, the regulations favor the food industry. They, they are not evidence-based science. They're sneaky, aren't they? How they do yeah, that. they are. They are. Uh, Voracious, Voracious Vegan says the regulations are there to protect the interests of the industry. I couldn't agree more. So right. JL want to know, wants to know, how are parents reacting to your programs? Are they on board or are they opposing of them? What a great question. Um, first of all, we don't, we have, a, it, it really, it varies. You know, there's a lot of parents who are increasingly interested in this and who are contacting us and asking us for it. And even in the schools in New York City that we helped adopt the vegetarian menu, even most of the parents were not vegan or vegetarian, but there was very little resistance. Most of them understood. They struggle with food. They struggle with diet related diseases. They want better for their kids. At the same time, most of the resistance we have when we go to do this is from adults food service staff, teachers, school leaders. But it depends where the school is, you know, how receptive that community is to plant-based food, how healthy that community is. Um, we found some of the smallest rural areas are completely open even when most of the parents are animal farmers. So we've worked with a school, um, this is a couple years ago, we did a back to school night for that school almost all the parents in that school raise animals for food. And at that, they did have pizza with pepperoni on it. That was one choice they could get. And they had three other choices of our vegan entrees, our healthy vegan entrees. And basically what most people did was took a little bit of each. I didn't see anyone only taking pizza. They tried the food because they had this fabulous principle. And, you know, he encouraged everybody to try everybody, everything. And um, he then went around to all the tables of all the parents that night and he talked to them all, these animal farmers. And they're like, they get it. They get it. They're struggling with their health problems. They want their kids to be healthier. They appreciated it. So you, you never even know. You cannot make assumptions about who's going to accept it, who's not going to accept it. I think um, the other schools that we find very high acceptance rates are the super low income schools where that are like a much higher percentage of um, children of color. Those schools are much more receptive. So I, I think some of the schools that are the, the most resistant are some of the sort of suburban schools where most of the families are more middle-class. But, but again, it's all individual, but the adults' attitudes are so important. 
Um, and the food service staff's attitudes are so important. And when we're at a school where we see bad attitudes, we see that the kids don't accept the food. And when they're in a school where the adults, the teachers, the principal, the food service staff are all on board, then you have a much higher percentage of the kids taking the food. So um, last year we presented at the New York State School Board Association um, to school board members from all over New York State. And our room was packed and we got more partnerships from that because a lot of times the, um, a lot of times the school leadership, like the superintendent, the school board members, don't really understand the, the, the impact of healthy eating could have on sort of the metrics that schools measure to define their success. You know, so they talk about attendance. Well, you gotta be healthy to be in school, to not miss school. And if your immune system is stronger, you'll get colds less, you'll get flus less, you know, so if you're in school and ready to learn, if you eat more whole food, plant-based foods, less processed foods, less animal foods, or ideally none, then you're sick less often and you can also concentrate better. You can focus more, you can learn better. Also, since food affects mood, there's less classroom disruptions. There's less, you know, we teach kids that, you know, there's lots of reasons why people might have to be sad, depressed or anxious, Sometimes people are that way and they don't even, and there's not like a good explanation except that there is because it's like when you're not eating the foods that feed your body and feed your brain, the foods that your body and brain want and need, then it affects your, how you feel. And so there's a lot of kids out there anxious and depressed, um, not because there's a specific thing going on in their life. I mean, we all have stuff going on in our lives, but because the food they're eating is not allowing their bodies and brains to function at their best. And that's what Dr. So, talks about in fast food genocide is that it, it's affecting their brain from a very early age. Yeah. And so, and so this is like a serious problem. And so school leaders, if they could understand that their attendance would be higher, um, there'd be less classroom disruptions. Kids could focus better. You know, they look at test scores. We don't think that's the best way to measure student achievement, but yes, test scores are impacted and better test scores when kids eat healthy. So all these things that schools care about that, that help them produce students who are well-educated, who can reach their full potential, who can go out in their adult lives, who aren't dealing with type two diabetes and high cholesterol and high blood pressure and overweight, like this makes a difference in the children because these habits are developed young. So if the kids aren't getting healthy food it's at home, like it's, it's a school's, it's our taxpayer money too. It's like a school's obligation to do the very best they can for their kids. And sometimes that's lost on the schools, but that includes feeding them healthy, health supporting disease preventing foods so that the students can do their very best in school and achieve, um, you know, health so that they don't have health standing in the way of achieving their other dreams, you know, their dreams of what they want to do in their lives. Yeah, I just, I wonder, I mean, like even if 
Colin Campbell was the principal, how do you get a little kid to care? You know, it's different. Like when they get, I, I interviewed a college tennis coach yesterday who's influencing, he's, he's vegan and he's influencing his players. You know, when you're older, you care about things like if you have acne, you know, so you, you might want to start eating healthier or maybe you care about weight. But when you're a little kid, you know, it's like that marshmallow experiment. If, if, the, if the other food is offered, they're, they're always going to want the most hyper palatable food. That's just the way we're designed. That is the way they're designed. But I will tell you that one thing we used to not teach about that we do now, and I think it makes a big difference for kids, is humane education. Talk about the animals. Kids care about animals. It's natural, like unless you're a sociopath, it's very natural to care about animals. Um, so we do have on our, you know, I mentioned we have our fall classes, virtual, they're all virtual, they're all free. And one of those classes is a humane education class where kids learn about humane education, but they also get um, a virtual tour of an animal sanctuary. So they actually get to meet the different animals sitting in front of their computers, which is really fun. Get to see all the funny different things that the animals do. And um, it's a lot of fun. So if kids care about animals and also the other big one, the environment, these are the things the kids care more about than health right now. Although sometimes the health things, if you approach it the right way, you can get the kids to care about that too. So I think talking about food and mood, I think that's an important one for kids. Um, and getting, getting the cold and flu, like the more immediate kind of things that happen versus the longer term things that happen. So, so talking about animals and the environment and the more immediate impacts of healthy eating. And then, you know, we try to do stuff that also like tastes great, you know, like, like you can make really healthy smoothies and really healthy milkshakes with bananas and unsweetened non-dairy milks and fruits um, and greens. So um, we try to teach recipes that just taste delicious. And I think all of the taste testing that we do in the schools, the kids always love the food. The vast majority of them love the food. And they say, even if they won't get it for lunch that day, they would definitely want their family to cook it for dinner. That's great. Well, yeah. You know, Lauren's saying getting a little kid to eat veggies can be a real challenge. That's why you got to start them, you know, when they're young. Yes. And, and, you know, one of the best ways is gardening, but not everybody has access to gardening. So I will just say another presentation that we have on our summit is how one, one big idea change a community, it's Tony Hillary who founded Harlem Grown, which is urban gardens in New York City and Harlem. So if you don't have, uh, if you live in a city and you don't have access to land, find your urban gardens and get involved. Also, you can grow microgreens in your house. Um, and this is, I think, a lot easier than growing sprouts. They're like a little more substantial. They're, it's very, you don't even, your window doesn't even have to be very sunny. Um, microgreens, once you plant them, they just take a few days to sprout and then in a few days they're ready to eat and just snip, snip, snip with the scissors and you can, you can just eat them by the mouthful or you can add them to a salad. Um, and there's all different kinds of microgreens. You can order them from different like Johnny's selected seeds or, um, fruition seeds. There's all different places you can buy microgreen seeds, but I think microgreens are great. And what we know is, um, I think I mentioned this before, if kids grow food or they cook food, they'll eat it, even if it's just microgreens. My daughter, she's 18, she went off to college, 
But from, from a very young age, whenever we went to the farmer's market, there was this one farm that sold little bags of microgreens. And she would be like, I want some, I want some. I buy her this little bag of microgreens. She'd just be shoving them in her mouth. It's not that I was starving her. I was not starving her. She ate lots of food. <laughs> she was fine and she was healthy, but she loved eating microgreens. And I think when kids eat a lot of greens, uh, plant foods in general, but also especially greens, I think they actually notice that they feel better. So if you can get them to do it as an experiment, so we do in some of our virtual classes, we set up these experiment, homework experiments, like to eat a certain amount of something and then report back how they feel, you know? Amy, there's a question, not, yeah, a question from Katie saying, what should we do as parents to get the school districts on board? Well, there's a whole lot to that answer. And it kind of depends on what the attitude already is. And if there's leadership, when I say leadership, I mean the superintendent, the school board members, upper level administrators, is there leadership who's interested in the topic? Because if there's not, it's gonna be really hard. Um, or the food service director, because say you have a food service director who's open, even if the rest of the leadership is not, they can often just make those changes. Um, the worst thing to do is go in and complain. That's not the way to handle it. Like it's to understand how hard they work, how little their budget is, how they have to meet all these regulations. So understanding how school food works, you can read about, uh, it's very detailed on our website, um, on the learn more section of healthyschoolfood.org. Go to learn more, how school food works. You read all about it. There's a lot of complicated things. You should read that before you, and then read um, how to create change in my school also on our website, because understanding those things before you go say anything to anybody is a good idea. And then, and then contact me after you've read that. Um, so yeah, so how do you get them to do it? Well, it's first to sort of do some homework and see what you can find out about the school leaders. Is there any anybody who's into eating this way? Or even like if they eat like baked chicken, is there anybody who cares about health, you know, like who thinks they're healthy or whatever? And um, it's to talk to them first. Talk to the people who care the most first. Great. So, so I mean, kids, if they want to, they, they can bring their lunch, right? Any child yeah, yeah. is allowed to bring their lunch, yeah. right? Yes. And so I've talked to a few kids that are not, some of them are older now, but they were raised vegan and they got like almost bullied and teased for, you know, bringing vegan lunches. I mean, is that an issue that you see often? My daughter experienced it for years and she was too young to tell me to express it. And when she finally was able to express it, we immediately went to the school. We talked to the teachers. Um, I, I said, it's bullying. And but the teachers originally did not agree with that. And then she went to the next grade and the new teacher did agree with it. And she, she told my daughter to come to her immediately right when it happened. And then she got the other kid and they like sat on a couch with the teacher in the middle. And you know, like it, it basically, this girl did try to bully her again, but she would like start saying something and then she would stop because she realized she had been forbidden from doing that. But was very painful to my daughter. It's sad. I think, I think one way to address it. So part of her class, or even a couple years before that, I had gone in with my champion juicer and frozen bananas and frozen berries 
and made the nice cream ice cream, which is just like soft syrup. All it is is frozen bananas and frozen fruit. That's it. And I remember some of the kids telling me that it was the very best ice cream they ever had, which made me really happy. But we did that. We did other kinds of little cooking classes with the kids. Um, sometimes schools have special programs or they have after school programs, or sometimes they have a parent who can come into the classroom and do a presentation about like why we eat this way. And I, I've heard people, there's even a, a vegan kids book about that topic, um, about how the parent comes in and explains because the kid was bullied. And so I think that can be really helpful when they understand why, because they can say like, we don't want to eat animals because we, we love animals and we don't want to hurt them. We care about the environment. We want to be healthy, whatever the reasons are. Um, so if you, you talk about it and you bring food for them to try that tastes really good, like, like banana ice cream, right? Um, then, then there's more understanding and less bullying, but it is hard. You can't, I mean, bullying is a horrible thing and yeah. it does affect vegan kids sometimes, but less and less as vegan becomes more mainstream. Yeah. Well, actually I have a show today at three o'clock with Dr. Doug Lyle. And one of the questions is actually about bullying. So maybe he can shed some light on why that happens and what we can do about it. The other thing that I think is so unfair is I understand like parents are in some cases are not allowed to bring food to the classroom. And by that, I mean, like, for instance, like they're very strict about peanuts, which I understand, mm -hmm. but often what they'll have is every month in, in, especially in younger grade classes, like make it like a birthday party. And at least in some schools, like, and they can, you know, the, the mother or the, you know, the parent could bring in like cupcakes for everybody. And then of course that's not fair because like, what if a kid is kosher? Or what if a kid is like, you know, allergic and things like that. But I've, I've heard from parents were saying they can't even bring, bring in like a separate snack that's appropriate for their kid when every, when the school is supplying, you know, crap to everybody else for a party. And that to me seems really unfair. Yeah. Well, the rules about schools and snacks is they aren't supposed to be doing the unhealthy snacks like cupcakes and stuff. Most schools have adopted a policy, which actually can end up in some really unhealthy food, a snack policy or a birthday party policy where nobody can bring in food from the outside because of allergies. And so what they ended up doing was having this policy where the food could only be catered by the school kitchen or a lot of times it would be some kind of prepackaged food. So it's, it's really, it's unfortunate that they did that. I just think that when a kid has a birthday party, they should not be celebrating with food because they're gonna be celebrating at home anyway. Um, so I feel like they should have, you know, some other special thing for the kid. They don't have to have food involved. Um, and, and that way it's not a problem for other kids um, because everybody, and especially in a public school, everything should be accessible to everybody. Nobody should be left out. I mean, that's true for any school, but in a public school, right? Um, when they would do when they would do birthday parties at my daughter's school and she couldn't eat that food. So I had to make her special food that I would bring in and they had a refrigerator and freezer there in the teacher's lounge. And because she would come home crying when she was four and five years old, they had a party and I didn't get to eat the food while the teacher never told me. So I'm like, I'm gonna bring this food in for you to put in your freezer. And when you have a party and you know you're having a party that day, take this thing out of the freezer in the morning so it can defrost, so my daughter can have something. You know, that's what you have to do. You have to, 
But for a school that says your kid can't have their own special thing, I, I would just go to the top level. I wouldn't complain to the teacher. I'd go to the principal or the superintendent or the school board because there's absolutely no reason why if your child eats differently, they should not be able to have the food that they need to have so that they can not feel left out. Wow. Last question. How did you get interested in this? Oh, well, I have a stepson. He's now 30 and, um, and a very dear friend, Jennifer Green from Long Island, her son, and both of us were vegan and our kids were in elementary school together and there was no options. So we decided we would work to get vegan options on the menu. We were successful in getting a vegan option every day in their elementary school. Um, and then this opportunity came up to write a legislative resolution for the New York State Legislature, um, which I did, and it passed unanimously. And then we founded this nonprofit. So that's basically how I got interested. It kind of in a way fell into my lap. It completely defined the rest of my life. It's been 17 years now. Um, I'm very passionate about it. And um, there are ways we definitely can help parents figure out how to get involved. But um, given all the things that we've known and learned and you know, learn from mistakes too, just like everybody, um, I think we have a lot of good advice that we can give and help parents know what they need to find out before they say anything to anybody, you know, so that they, to strategize the best way to do it in their particular school. Great. And what, where's the best place to send people to find out more about your work and how they can support you or maybe do this in their own community? Well, thank you. Well, there's two things I want to say. One is our website is healthyschoolfood.org. And um, you can just check out that whole website, especially the learn more and the um, create change and the take action sections. Um, and there's a contact section. So you can go there, you can find my name. Amy Hamlin, my email, my phone number. You can just text me or call me. Um, I welcome it. That's what we're here for. Um, and then you can, um, um, the other website is greenapplesummit.org, greenapplesummit.org. So we're having this summit. It's coming right up October 24th through the 27th. We have just phenomenal speakers on it. It's all about kids and families and um, kids and families and schools is what it's about. And so that's what all the topics are about. And, um, but like, you know, like we've, we've got racism addressed. We've got, um, how can you keep your kid healthy if you, if you do send them back to the school building or how can you work in school from home? What about, uh, meat, dairy, and racism? What about the food industry and food policy? What about feeding your family inexpensively? Um, there's so many great topics. Um, the Veducated Family Table is, is a book written by Marisa Miller Wolfson, brand new book just out that um, about feeding, you know, babies and toddlers and, and kids. Uh, fabulous book. Um, she also did the movie Veducated. And um, there's just so many speakers. You go to the homepage of Green Apple Summit, you could see all the speakers for the summit. You can sign up for it for free. Each day, the 24th through the 27th, you can watch four of the presentations. Um, if you wanna buy access to all of them, you can do that too. But if you watch them on the day they're released, it's free. But then we're also having this um, virtual gala online 
on October 28th from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. And um, we have a lot of great speakers. You can, you can also on this greenapplesummit.org homepage, just page down, you'll see all the summit speakers, the summit hosts, the gala speakers. The gala is being hosted by Iindi Howell. He's a chef and an actor and a lifelong vegan. Uh, great guy. I'm really excited. He's our host. Um, and you can buy tickets. Um, and we hope you will. But even if you can't buy tickets, come on and support us by just coming on and watching. There are free tickets too. But we provide virtually all of our programming for free to schools. It's very rare when a school pays us. And so we really depend on um, having sponsorships. So like if you have a business and you want to be a sponsor um, for our summit and gala, you can do that. Just contact me. Um, if you um, care about this issue and you want to support it and you just want to make a donation, you can make recurring donations. You can make one-time donation because we that's what we count on, donations and sponsorships to provide the funding for our organizations so that we can provide all of these programs for free. Um, and, and also, I really, I hope people check out our virtual fall classes at healthyschoolfood.org. They're free and you can cook with your kids and make your dinner. So there's a, there's a lot that we offer and um, we're very excited about the summit and gala coming up and we, we hope you'll check it out at greenapplesummit.org. Sure. And anything you want, I'll put in the show notes, just email me. Oh, and you mentioned you. Mar Marissa Wolfson. She is booked on the show, but not until March 11th. Cause I just got, there's more people than wow. I have to, to interview. So yeah. Well, March you got the preview here. So buy the book, check out the book and then wait till you hear her talk about it. Cause she's fabulous. She is also interviewed on our summit. So she's on the summit too. Um, so yeah, that it's really, um, it's really great. We have a lot of good stuff going on. We're, we're very excited to talk to, to you, the viewers, contact us. We'll help you any way that we can. Great. Well, thank you so much for the work you do. I really appreciate thank you. it. Thank and you so much. I really appreciate it too. So nice to connect with you again. Nice to connect with you. Thank you, AJ. Of course. And thank all of you so much for supporting Chef AJ Live and watching the show. Believe it or not, we have a triple header today. So take a little break for three hours and come back because you won't want to miss Dr. Doug Lyle. Thanks again, Amy. Take care. Thank you, Chef AJ.